Good morning, brethren. I count it an honor to be asked to fill this pulpit. I take it seriously, and I thank you for the privilege. This morning, I want to talk about our walk with God. This was our theme for church camp this year in 2022, and our walk with God. We tried to relay to the kids that our lives from the time that we believe until the time that we die is a walk with the Lord. We have many examples of great men and great women who walked with the Lord. We first spoke of Enoch, or Enoch as it's pronounced in the Old Hebrew. A dear brother preached how that Enoch had walked with God so well that God just took him. And he was no more. We then had another dear brother who preached about Noah. And how he walked with the Lord even during the hard times of building that ark. And that no one had any idea what it would be used for in the first place. However, he walked with the Lord and he continued to do what he was told. Another dear brother, brother taught about Abraham. And how he walked with God with faith. He even took his only son to sacrifice. But God provided his own sacrifice. Abraham was faithful to God, and God was faithful to Abraham. We then heard from another dear brother about David. David being a man after God's own heart. He was not perfect. In fact, he had many faults and many wrongdoings. But God, who is full of mercy and love, loved David to the end. The next sermon was on the subject of Zacharias and Elizabeth, a dear couple, the parents of John the Baptist. They walked with God, and in their older age, a prayer was answered for them to have a son, and they were given John the Baptist. We then heard about Cleophas and his Emmaus brothers' walk, and the discussion with our Christ on the road and at the end. This was a treasured time by all. Everyone had a great time. We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. It rained on us more than anything in the world that we had a really wet camp this year. So we improvised with indoor activities, but I got to say, the kids took it well and kept the competition going. The last day we were up and the power was out. We had no power, so we left a little bit earlier than we planned to. But you know, it's all God's plan in the first place. And it's part of our walk to understand that God is going to take you in the path that he wants you to take, whether that's the path you really wanted to take or not. We would have loved to have heard another sermon. But instead, we packed up and we came home, and the kids enjoyed themselves anyway. The children were a dream, no matter the issues. They were there. They were, a lot of the boys were Johnny on the spot. A lot of the girls were so helpful. We really had a, a sweet spirit about the camp with all the kids. We had a fire pit with s'mores on the last night. We actually, we haven't done that. We did that at the older camp. We always had a fire the last night. And so we found a place finally where we could fit everybody and have our devotion and s'mores at the same time. Of course, I don't know if sugaring kids up right before bed is the right thing to do or not, but that's what we did. We had s'mores and then, and Every single one of the kids talked. We, we had every one of them say what their favorite part about camp was. 
course, uh, a lot of them talked about the activities, but there were quite a few of the children who said they were very appreciative of the messages that the dear brothers had brought. And there were some good messages. There were some great messages. Today, I was asked to bring this update that I just gave, and I was also asked to bring the sermon that I preached on Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so this may or may not be the exact same thing that I preached because I kind of followed a lot of rabbit holes, but we're going to give it the best shot. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Luke. To the book of Luke, chapter 1. The very first chapter. We'll start in verse 5. In verse 5, we'll be reading quite a bit here. In verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod... So this tells us what time it was. It were the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. Now, each of the, uh, each of the uh, uh, priests who were in charge of certain portions of the tabernacle, they had what they were called courses. So he was of the, so when you hear a, a course of a certain particular group, um, each group, you can go back in the Old Testament, you can see David set it up so that each group would cover a certain part of the tabernacle for a certain amount of time, and then they would trade off. They would run for a few months, and then they would trade off. So he was of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So they were both Levitical. He was a Levit Levitical priest of the sons of Aaron, and she was also a daughter of the group of Aaron in that same group. And they were both righteous before God. Now, our Bibles say a lot of times about being righteous and standing before men. But it's really important to point out when your Bible says that they were righteous before God. They were righteous before God. That means that Yes, they were keeping the Levitical priesthood. Yes, they were keeping the commandments. Yes, they were doing what they were doing. But more importantly than that, they had a relationship and a standing with our Lord. They were perfect. Not really. But they were righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So they were doing what they were supposed to do, and they had a relationship. This is all part of their walk. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And I know I said this, and you young ladies are going to be like, oh, here he's saying this again. I know that a lot, of, a lot of women are nowadays would not understand this, but for a woman to not be able to have children back in these days, she felt useless. As a matter of fact, later on we'll see that it's really called a reproach. Like, not only did she feel useless, but everybody else thought she was useless. Because she couldn't have children. She could not bring children into the world for her husband. Which is the purpose of a wife. And Zacharias, he loved his wife. They were well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest office before God, in the order of his course... According to the custom of the priest office, his lot, so this is his job, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. 
And you do a little study on this, the incense was the first thing that started. So he was the first one to go into the temple and start the burning of the incense. Everybody else waited outside until the incense started, and then they would come in after he had finished starting the burning of all the incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. So they were all waiting for him to finish so they could come in. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Now, here is an angel of the Lord standing in front of a man and his... His reaction is fearful. Now, I know that Galatians state that we all meet angels unawares and we spend time with angels and don't even know it. But when an angel appears to a man this way, when you know you're standing in front of an angel, there's something that comes over you. So all these men who talk about how they met God or met an angel and they were just going on normal, I, I, I tend to disagree with that. I tend to think that some sort of fear comes over an individual when you're going to stand in front of the Lord or you're going to stand in front of one of his angels. Anyway, fear fell upon Zacharias. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Now, Zacharias is in some books that are not the Bible, if you read some of the Jewish, um, uh, how do you put it, the Jewish history, they say that Zacharias was around 99 and his wife was around 89. That's what other books say. There's nothing in the Bible that states their age. Well stricken in years simply means that neither one of them were really capable of having a child. At least she wasn't uh, capable of having a child. And him being her husband, therefore, was in the same lot. He was not unable to have a child because she couldn't have a child. It's not like he could go to another. So I wonder, after 80-something years, which prayer he's talking about. This it's probably a lot of prayers that Zacharias has had. He's probably had quite a few prayers. But the angel tells him, he says, And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. So there's the prayer he's talking about. And thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And we're talking about John the Baptist. I get the, the opportunity to preach about John's parents. A good man and a good woman who spent their life, their whole life, walking with the Lord. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. From his mother's womb he'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that's Isaiah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the, oh, I'm sorry, before we go further, so he was going to be one as one crying in the wilderness, as Isaiah said. He brings it out that he says Isaiah. When you go back to Isaiah, it talks about one crying in the wilderness to make straight the ways. This is who John the Baptist, this is the prophet, this is the prophecy fulfilled in this, uh, in this spot right here. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. So he questions the angel. 
How's that going to happen? Now, you do realize I'm, I'm really, really, really old. And my wife ain't no spring chicken either. How's this going to happen? And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. You know, I did a little quick thought about this, the standing in the presence of God. Why would Gabriel tell him, first off, just using the name Gabriel to a Jew probably would have been more than enough. They knew all about the angels and the archangels, Michael and Gabriel. They knew all, so just saying, I'm Gabriel, probably would have been enough. But he took it a step further and said, I am Gabriel, who that stand in the presence of God. And I always, I just wonder what relevance that had. And the more you think about it, the more you realize this is a man of God that the angel's talking to. This is a man of God. And so he says, I stand in the presence of God, which is something Zacharias could never have done and lived. So he's pointing out that he's Gabriel, the angel, the one that stands in front of the Lord. And I am sent to speak unto thee and to show these, show thee, these glad tidings. There's a lot of these and thou's, I apologize. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until that day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So, not only are you questioning me, you're not believing what the Lord sent me to tell you this. You're not believing the Lord. That's what it boiled down to. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of the Lord. I've come to tell you these things that God has told me to tell you. You don't believe them, so you're going to be struck dumb, completely unable to speak. Completely unable to speak at all until this all comes to pass. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. What's taking him so long? And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now, it's kind of odd to think about someone. You would be carrying on a conversation and then go in to take care of your duties, and then when you come out, you can't even speak. Well, I just spoke to him not so many minutes ago, and yet now he's struck and he can't speak. And they realized that something had happened. He was beckoning to them and trying to relay something, and he was unable to do so. And it came to pass... That as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, when he'd finished his duties, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So not only did she believe it was a reproach, but other people thought it was a reproach as well. But to her... This is now taken care of. I'm now going to be able to bring forth a son for my husband. I'm going to be able to fulfill the duty the Lord has given me. This, he's opened this for me to happen. And then, then we go on to read in, in the next few verses, Gabriel then goes to Mary and tells her that she would conceive a son by the Holy Ghost and that he would be the Christ, that she would name him Jesus. And then at the end of their conversation, we're going to skip down to verse 35. This is the end of his conversation with Mary. Right? Gabriel first told John the Baptist's mother, 
or father, that uh, he was going to have a son, and you'd name him John. Then he went to Mary and said she would have a son, and his name would be Jesus. And at the end of that conversation, in verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In other words, don't think that this is anything, you know, this is something miraculous because it's going to be of the Holy Spirit and it's going to be God. But don't think this can't be capable because your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is now having a child. So what did Mary do? For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her, and Mary immediately in those days arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So here is that scripture that proves the scripture that the angel said he would be filled from the Holy, filled with the Holy Ghost, even from the womb. So Elizabeth, she the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, "Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb." And whence is this to me that the uh, sorry? And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she immediately knew that that which Mary was carrying was her Lord. Immediately, she knew it. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That's some very, some very Christian-like sounding, isn't it? Someone who really has walked with the Lord, who really believes in God. I've rejoiced in God my Savior. She may not have understood him as Jesus, but she would She would eventually. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has holpen or pinned down or basically grabbed and held his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And Mary abode with her for about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how that the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass 
that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, No, said not so. He should be called John. They said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table. And he wrote saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. His name is John. And fear came on all that dwelt around about. Oh, sorry. And his mouth was opened immediately. And his tongue loosed. And he spake and praised God. So when his tongue was loosed, the first thing he said wasn't, yeah, his name's going to be John. We're going to do John. That's how we... No. His first thing was to praise God. Because everything that the angel told him happened the way the angel said it would happen. And when John was born and he was named John, he was loose, his tongue was loose and he praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard were laid them up in their hearts saying, What manner of child shall this be? I don't think they had any clue exactly what kind of a child he was going to, what kind of a man this child was going to turn into. And the hand of the Lord was with him. Our camp theme had a, had, he used a, a, a bunch of C's. Commitment, he had that. So I, for this sermon, for the few minutes that I have left, I'm going to talk about a Christian walk. I'm going to talk about our walk. I'm going to use some of my own letter C's. First off, our walk should be Christian. There should be only one kind of walk that we walk, and that is a Christian walk. We should not walk as a Buddhist. We should not walk as a Hindu. We should not walk as a uh, Hindu who believes in multiple gods and then just tack Christ on. It should be solely and completely about Christ. That's what our walk should be. When we start our walk, when we say that we believe in the Lord and we go into the baptismal waters and we join a church, from that point on, everything we do should be about Christ. There should be nothing else. Second off, our walk should be clear. We should be very clear about what we believe. There are certain things that as a Christian, if you don't believe it, you can't really fellowship with other Christians. If you do not believe that Jesus was God, you believe he was just a prophet, all other Christians are going to kind of look at you funny and go, well, we can't really get past that. Because until you believe what the Bible says about Christ, him being God, you can't really pass that. So it has to be very clear about what you believe. You have to be very clear. Now, by being clear, what I mean is, is when you talk to people and you're having conversations, you need to really understand what it is you believe. There's really only one way to do that, isn't there? To study what you believe. Therefore, you need to get into the Word. The only way to be clear about what you believe is to get into the Word and find out what you believe. If you don't get into the Word to find out what you believe, you cannot be clear in your Christian walk. The next part of our Christian walk should be commitment. You should be committed. Right? 
This is what I believe. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to walk like a Christian. I'm going to talk like a Christian. I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to spend my life living just for Him and Him alone and no other. And I'm committed to that. Completely, wholeheartedly committed to what I believe. However, you need to be committed with a teachable spirit. You need to be willing to understand that just because I'm committed to this doesn't mean that I know everything about it. Doesn't mean that I am perfect in every way and that I could teach everybody and everybody just needs to listen to me. You need to have a teachable spirit. You need to have the idea of I'm committed to what the truth is and commit myself to finding out what that truth is. Not just reading it and saying, this is what I believe, and never changing your position on anything, and you've got this box, and I've got all these little things that I'm stuffing in my box. I put this in the box, I put that. Everything that I believe is in this box, and nothing else, nothing more. This is my box. This is what I have in my box. You believe that? I don't have that in my box. You have to have a teachable spirit. You have to realize that the box you're holding isn't quite big enough. As a matter of fact, it's not big enough by infinity. And then multiply that times another affinity and you'll probably get the idea of what you don't know. So you have to be committed to what you believe. But you have to be committed to want to find out what it truly means. Commit yourself to finding the truth. Commit yourself to reading God's word. Spend time reading his word to understand what it is that you're committing yourself to. But don't be afraid to have someone come up and give you some, some sort of criticism or some sort of advancement or some sort of help in the subject that you believe. Just because you have studied it and probably gone thoroughly with every passage that's in the Bible that talks about that one thing doesn't make you an expert on that. God reveals things to us in His timing. God reveals everything to us the way He wants us to learn. You can read this scripture today and it doesn't mean a whole lot. You kind of understand what it means. Three days from now, you have something in your life happen. That scripture makes a lot more sense that day than it did the day before. This is a living, breathing document. This is the very word of God. And I want everyone to realize this. This is the inspired, true, breathed word of God in your Bible. We have his complete word. Because if we didn't have his complete word, we would have no idea what his word is. He has preserved his word in the Bible. And it doesn't matter how you translate it, his word is still there. I love how Brother J.C. always taught that translation never negates inspiration. This is the inspired true word of God and we have it. Or... This is not the true word of God and we're just lost in, our, lost in trouble. And I know God said that he would preserve his word. This is the word of God. We have it in full in our Bibles. The next C that I want to talk about is courage. When you take on the clothes, put on the, the, 
the term to yourself Christian, you're going to end up having to stand up to someone because of what you believe. Courage isn't somebody who is trained when bullets are going this way to go that way. It's not a hero. It's not the guy who runs into the burning building. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is the courage when someone is screaming in your face about God being completely false and how it's stupid to even read this Bible because it's a useless waste of time, you're going to have to have the courage to stand up and say, look, this is the truth. I know this is the truth and there is nothing you can say that is going to prove that this is not the truth. And eventually, and I pray, I know it's going to, but I pray that no time soon in this country that you would have to say that with a gun to your head. Because I want you to think about this, guys. There are some courageous Christians that are not in this country. There are Christians out there in countries where just saying the word Christian will get you shot and killed. And preaching Christianity will get you boiled or strung up or even worse. These missionaries that are out there on these fields out in the middle of Thailand, out in the middle of India, out in the middle of South America. These cartels don't care about Christ. All they care about is shutting up the people who are going to give people hope. And having the word Christian on you puts a target on your back. Now, we don't have to deal with that in America. We got a different target. It's a softer target. It's a crowd of people who just, you know, right now we've got a lot of rights. And therefore we have the right to gather together and to study and to learn together as a church in this country. And, and, and God knows how long that's going to last. So it's going to take some courage. Not, not just to stand up now, but to stand up later when it becomes an even bigger issue because you're one of those people you know there's it's funny whenever the church of england became a church whenever they brought the church of england together and they brought everyone together and they started preaching the state this this is what's approved by the state and then there were these other churches they're like oh you're one of those christians well you're one of those you're not going to believe this you're going to only really are you held to that those people were killed they were burned they were hung, drugged by horses. That's the kind of courage I'm talking about. That even though you're going to be in trouble for saying that Jesus is your Christ, that you say it anyway. No matter what. The last C I want to talk about is, it's conversation. Our walk with God is not just a walk. It's not like you're doing something for the Lord which you are, but that's not the totality of it. It's a conversation. You're speaking with the Lord. And the Lord is speaking with you throughout this whole conversation. So when I hit my knees and I pray, I tell the Lord all my troubles and I give Him all of my thanks, I always take the time to ask Him to put things on my heart. To tell me what he would like for me to, to pray about. I pray for 
all of the church. I pray for the people in the church. I pray for my family. I pray for a lot of unsaved family. I pray for a lot of so-called saved family, which are still just unsaved. But it's a conversation. But then I take the time to listen to the Lord. The only way you're going to hear God is if you read what he's saying. I said, guys, this is the inspired, breathed word of God. And I believe that if you just open the Bible and you start reading, you put yourself somewhere in the context of the Bible, he will speak to you through his word. So that is his side of the conversation. His side of the conversation is how much time you spend in his word. Your part of the conversation is when you get down and you pray and you talk to the Lord. Now, I want to point this out because I had to point it out to the kids. You have two eyes. You have two ears. But you only got one mouth. So you should be watching and listening twice as much as you're speaking. So the more time you spend in God's word, the better off you'll be. The more time you spend reading about what he wants for you, the more your life will open up and you'll understand exactly what it is that he wants for you in your life. And I can tell you what he wants. It's really simple. A lot of people say, well, what does the Lord want for me? Well, it's really simple. There's only one purpose for a Christian on the, on the terrestrial ball of this earth. One purpose and one purpose only. Are you ready? To witness about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a lot of people to witness to. And until you witness to every single one of them, the Lord's waiting on to bring you home until then. Until you've completed what you're to do here on earth, which is to witness. When you're done with your witness and you're at the end of your walk, the Lord will bring you home. But not one second before. So we have one purpose here on earth. Everybody's like, I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know. I can tell you what you should do. Witness. Talk about the Lord. Tell people God is great. Tell people God is good. That's another part of the courage. Having the courage to walk up to another individual that, number one, you may only barely know, or if you barely know them, you have no idea what they believe in the Lord, or even just possibly walking up to a complete stranger that you have no clue what that person believes at all. It's going to take courage to step up and say, you ever heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? And start a conversation. And we spend a lot of time in restaurants. I always, you know, I always want to take the time to talk to a waitress or a waiter and ask them about the Lord. I don't get the opportunity that I always want because 90% of the time they're way too busy to sit and talk to someone, let alone talk about the Lord. But every opportunity that we can, we need to step in there and we need to talk to someone about the Lord. That's our purpose on earth as Christians. We're here to witness. We're here to witness about the Lord. That's it. Witness. Have the courage to step up and witness. Because someday, you're going to really have to have the courage to step up and witness. Because stepping up and witnessing is going to get you in a lot of trouble. We're not there yet, thank God. Thank the Lord the United States is not there yet. But someday, someday, this could be the country that you could get into either a lot of trouble or dead because of what you believe. But have the courage to know that God is with you. In your walk, you're not walking alone. Brother Rains used a, a, a poem that I love. I love the poem, Footprints in the Sand. 
I don't know if all, any of you, all of you have heard about it, but it's one of my favorite poems where it talks about the Christian and the Lord, and they're walking together, and he's looking back, and he's seen both sets of footprints in the sand, but then he notices that in the hard times, in the times where he was really struggling, where he was really having his toughest times, he looks back, and at those times, there's only one set of footprints. And he looks at God, and he says, God, how can you do this to me? In my hardest times, there was only one set of... I was there by myself. You weren't with me. You didn't come. I love how he puts the end. The Lord says, Son, I was with you the whole time. In those troubling times when you see only one set of footprints, I was carrying you. It's a beautiful poem. And it's, it, it's a beautiful thought that the Lord will always be beside you. When you, when you take the commitment... And you understand the Lord has called you. The Lord has saved you. He has given you life. From that point forward, there's always two sets of footprints. He's never going to leave your side. He says, I will never forsake you. I'll never let you go. There's comfort in knowing that no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, I'm never alone. I'm never by myself. There's always two of us there. And I'm not always the one in charge. (laughs) I'm not always the one making the decisions. As a matter of fact, I'm never the one making the decision. I'm the little kid sitting behind the steering wheel, sitting in daddy's lap. I'm not driving. I sure want to be. But I sit there and I love the Lord. Take the walk seriously. Make it a conversation. Let him talk to you. And you spend time talking to him. The more time you spend in prayer, the better you will be. The more time you spend in his word, the better you'll be. The less time you spend in the world, the better you'll be. Now, any one of these men or women can tell you, staying out of the world is almost impossible. But we're called to be here, even though it's not our home. We're called to be here to witness on this quick pass-through of a thing that we call life. And that's all I have. And I hope that's a blessing. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given me today. I thank you so much for the opportunity.